Welcome to the Saturday Blitz Podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Bogalki. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz Podcast this week, everybody. I'm Zach Bogalki, here as always with John Mitchell. We're here to talk week five action this week. Look at all the big games, the big wins, the big losses, the big surprises. And then in our second segment, as usual, we'll be hitting up week six, looking at games against the spread. And in our final segment, we'll be offering our upset picks and locks of the week, along with some tasty treats to eat. How are you doing this week, John? I'm doing great. Excited to be here as always with you. Um, Excited to to wrap up a really fun week in college football and look forward to uh, what we hope to be an even funner week in college football next week. Yeah, it should be a big one coming up with a couple of really uh, great matchups between ranked teams, but we'll definitely touch on that more in the second segment. For now, let's pack up the grill on week five. Uh, what do you have as your best win of the week, John? Yeah, uh, there was, you know, obviously several really big wins to me. Um, the one that really stood out to me the most and impressed me the most was actually uh you could really classify it as a surprise as well if you wanted to with Cincinnati going to Marshall and just dominating the thundering herd a game that we had discussed last week is probably being pretty close to really evenly matched schools that felt like in the group of five race and just another instance where the American Athletic Conference flexed its muscles against uh, uh, another group of five conference it was just it was surprising in that Cincinnati hadn't looked that great over the first few weeks, but they finally seemed to live up to the great potential that we know these Bearcats have and led both of us to consider them as legitimate contenders for a New Year's Six birth this year and really thrusting themselves right back in that race, in my opinion, going on the road and just walloping Marshall 52-14. to 14. Desmond Ritter uh, threw four touchdown passes versus just four incomplete passes, so that's a master of efficiency for him and really their defense was what really impressed me holding Isaiah green to 11 of 29 passing for 131 yards uh, really looking like the Cincinnati defense, the Luke fickle defense that we had seen all of last season that led to them, you know, winning as many games as they did last year. So that was the best win to me. Yeah, that was a really great win. Obviously, I know you were looking at Marshall as an, a potential upset there. And I, you know, I didn't, by any chance, by any stretch of the imagination, see Cincinnati playing as well as they did. I, you know, they really did bust out in in a big way in Week Five. Personally, for me, I I had a big win a little bit closer here to home. And uh, you know, Penn State was on the road playing in College Park, but the way they obliterated Maryland 59 to nothing just really asserted their presence as a Big Ten East contender. I I think if we have to look at anybody being able to push Ohio State right now for that division, it's probably the Nittany Lions. Sean Clifford really just finally broke out in a big game for once 26 of 31 passing had 398 yards and three touchdowns but he didn't just do it with his arm you know he also ran seven times had 54 yards on the ground and another touchdown there Um, when he did throw the ball KJ Hamler looked really great six receptions 108 yards and caught one of those touchdown passes 
And it was a really good balanced attack, you know. They also had 198 rushing yards and five touchdowns as a team. When you're able to put that many running scores on another team, you know you're having a great day. And the defense came through in a big way as well. Uh, Penn State outgained Maryland 619 yards to 128 in total yardage. And... uh, The big thing about it, though, was this was the first shutout against a Power 5 opponent for Penn State since they beat Rutgers 39-0 three years ago. So That doesn't even count. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You know, if I was to dig even further, this would be an even longer, more impressive number there. So just all in all, I think it was just a complete victory for the Nittany Lions this week in a way that we just haven't seen from them yet. And honestly, we haven't seen from many teams so far this year. Yeah. And if you hadn't picked that as your best win, I might've picked it as my worst loss. Cause on the flip side of that, what an awful performance by Maryland. They really hyped that game up as being one of the biggest in school history. They canceled classes on Friday. They put more bleachers in the stands to accommodate a huge student turnout. And then you go out there and lay an egg. And, I mean, that game was never in doubt from the opening kickoff. I mean, Penn State just blitzed Maryland. And, you know, we go from a couple of weeks ago looking at Maryland as a potential sleeper team in the Big Ten. I had them projected in the Citrus Bowl not very long ago after their blowout went over Syracuse. And now you look at their schedule, it's going to be hard for them to even get six wins. Right now I've got them projected out of a bowl game at the moment at five and seven, which is just a huge turnaround. I think the lesson there is to um, never put too much stock in one win in college football. Well, yeah, I mean, you just saw the the way that their margins of victory into margins of defeat just, you know, continue to dip downward. If, you know, if the trend continues, it seems like three weeks from now, they're going to be breaking Cumberland's record of 222 to nothing and, and suffering just a, a historically bad loss. Obviously, that's not going to happen. Things regress back to the mean, but... Right now, everything is on code red there in College Park. So if that if that wasn't your worst loss, since we've already talked about it, what what would you say was the worst loss of the weekend, non Maryland edition? You know, it looked like UCLA had some momentum after beating Washington State last week, and they got a gift heading to Tucson to play Arizona because the Wildcats were without Khalil Tate and without JJ Taylor. So it looked like a pretty sure UCLA victory, uh, a win that they really needed to kind of keep their hopes of bowl eligibility alive in the early season. And they go out there and just, again, underperform with what we know this Bruins team is capable of because we watched it. You know, we stayed up till 4 a.m. watching it essentially uh, against Washington State a couple of weeks ago. So just really disappointing Maybe not even just worse losses. Maybe the most disappointing was the Bruins and Chip Kelly going to Tucson and losing 20-17 to to an Arizona team without their starting quarterback and starting running back. Their two best offensive players watching Grant Gunnell of Arizona make his first college start and go out there and throw 352 yards um, against the UCLA defense. And just the Bruins only managing 17 points after looking just so unstoppable the week before. So... Just that was the worst loss to me outside of Maryland, to be honest. That probably would have been my worst loss. But the Bruins uh, really needed that win and really had everything 
I had all the momentum going in their direction with the injuries for Arizona and still weren't able to pull that out. Yeah, that was a really bad loss. I think the only like redeeming quality that the Bruins and Bruins fans can take away from that was that Joshua Kelly actually looked decent in the game. You know, he ran for 127 yards and a touchdown, and that's at least got to give a little bit of comfort. But when when you follow up a really sort of statement win with just an absolutely flat outing, it's it, it it just kind of regresses them right back. They've reverted back to the norm. And yeah, it's definitely disappointing. For me, I had another disappointing result. Speaking of that Washington State team that fell, you know, they were supposed to go to Utah and have at least a decent performance. The way we've seen Anthony Gordon performing the first couple of weeks of the season, uh, You know, he's been absolutely lights out. It looked like he might challenge national records for for the season if he continued on the path he was. But Utah figured that offense out. Uh, You know, held Gordon only 252 yards and with a touchdown and two interceptions when he threw 49 passes. Really just kind of crazy to think about. It dropped... Dropped the Cougars to 0-2 in Pac-12 play, but they also gave up 526 yards. Utah was able to do just about whatever they wanted to do against the Cougars, and it only got worse in the second half. You know, things weren't completely out of reach there in the first half, but they they just had nothing go right after halftime. And I think, you know, part of what makes it so bad is it it was bad enough to make Mike Leach really go off. Uh, I'm sure everybody's seen that by now, that that petulant tirade. I mean, you know, going off about his fat, dumb, happy and entitled players. Honestly, at the end, you know, he did try to take some accountability, but that was really passing the buck. And I think that I pardon my language, but that's really just shit for a coach to do. No, I completely agree. It was kind of typical Mike Leach though, in that situation, not the first time a disappointing result has led him to really rip his team in that setting. And maybe he's figured that that works and has worked in the past or something like that, but really just not a great look for him. But also I agree with you about that being a really disappointing result because, I mean, that's the one game you and I agreed on picking last week, uh, and we both picked the Cougars, and, of course, it was uh, not even not even close. You know, Utah won by 25 points, and now Washington State's gone from potential Pac-12 contender to they're going to have to get it together to make a bowl game at this point. They still have a really tough schedule. They have three more road games against currently ranked teams. They still go to Arizona State. They still go to Washington. They still go to Oregon, uh, not to mention a couple other tough games. A really deep Pac-12 that we talked about in the preseason. Uh, they're really going to have to turn some things around to, to get back to where they want to go. Completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, just just a wild turn of events for a Washington State team that, yeah, looked like a preseason contender. Well, you know, that was obviously surprising, but what was the absolute biggest surprise you've seen this week? You know, I, I had a couple results in mind, but I mean, really, if I'm really thinking about it, it, this surprising, the most surprising result to me was that North Carolina nearly upset Clemson. Uh, the Tigers coming out with a 21 to 20 victory, North Carolina having an opportunity to take the lead with about a minute to play 
the right decision. I think both of us agree that Mac Brown decided to go for two because uh, the longer the game goes, the more likely you're going to regress to the mean and the better team's going to win. And Clemson's obviously better than North Carolina. Mac Brown understood that, had a chance after a long drive to really, you know, go against a tired Clemson defense at that point. That was a 14-play touchdown drive at the end of that game um, to really try to win that game. Didn't quite come up. But I'm just stunned that I think you, we were both in agreement that we didn't anticipate anyone seriously challenging Clemson in the ACC this year. But what's wrong with Clemson right now? Like, honest to God, like they just don't all season haven't looked like the Clemson team. We saw all of last season, the team that really hammered Notre Dame and Alabama in the playoff last year and looked like a clear cut number one entering this season. They actually lost their number one ranking this week in both the AP and coaches poll falling to number two. And, you know, if we're going to call a spade a spade at this point, they shouldn't even be ranked that high. The only reason they're ranked number two is because they won the national championship last year. You remove preseason biases. You can't tell me Clemson's look better than Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, LSU, Auburn, and probably a couple other teams at this point. I don't even think I would have Clemson in the top five at this point in the season if I was making rankings just because they haven't earned it. And they're obviously capable of earning that. They have as much talent as any team in the country. They could turn around in a moment's notice and end up winning the national championship this year, and it wouldn't surprise me. But their margins are razor thin with the schedule that they play this year. There's a a really decent chance they end up playing zero-ranked teams depending on where Texas A&M falls at the end of the season. And with their schedule, they're probably going to lose five games, and they'll probably knock them out. So one loss probably knocks Clemson out of playoff contention. And that's how close they came this weekend to seeing that happen. And maybe in the long run, them slipping up and coming close will be better for them because maybe a lot of coaches will say, you know, a close win like that is good for your team because you can kind of get them to stop reading the press clippings and believing their own hype. But, man, I was stunned that North Carolina had a shot to win the game at the end. Yeah, definitely. Just a masterful coaching job by Mac Brown. I, I I think we can say that right up to that option call they tried on the two-point conversion. Right decision to go for two, wrong play call. I, I think that's the only thing you can really criticize about that. But like you said, I mean, the way that their offense had cooled down in the second half, the fact that they finally got to the end zone and were able to have the chance to win that game, you've got to try to win it because the way their offense was starting to get shut down more in the second half, that's probably going to continue into overtime as well. So give themselves the best chance to win in terms of the decision, gave themselves the worst chance to win, making an, an option play call with Sam Howell. It, but yeah, right. just in general, looking at the other side of that though, yeah, Clemson, Trevor Lawrence looks like he's having an absolute sophomore slump. You know, he got, it, it almost seems like he got really confident in his ability to be just the absolute best quarterback in the country. And he's let his mechanics slip some because of it. Like he can just do whatever he wants and still make it happen. You see him throwing off his back foot so often these days that, you know, the corollary I see with this team, with this Clemson team is another ACC team. It's 2014 Florida State. That team was coming off the last BCS National Championship, finally unseated the SEC after that long run. 
But then they came in the next year, and they were just playing a lot of close games. They didn't look nearly as crisp or as consistent. Felt like they were resting on their laurels a lot more. And I see a lot of that with this Clemson team as well. And honestly, it's funny. It's the young... It's the young defense that saw a lot of guys shuffle out of town, um, you know, once they either exhausted their eligibility or decided to go to the pros, that's actually keeping them in this conversation still. Uh, It's definitely not a a hyper-loaded offense that was just supposed to be crushing everybody they came across, so... I agree with you. That was a really big surprise, and the only thing that would have been more surprising would be picking up that two on the option. Right, yeah, I love the comparison to 2014 Florida State. I think that's apt because you've got a a Clemson team that could still end up in the playoff as an undefeated team and really untested going into the playoff, and they could run into a team like Oregon that year that just blows the doors off of them and really, you know, exposes a lot of their weaknesses but you know I think we both agree that there's still plenty of time for Clemson to sort this out and neither of us would be shocked if the Tigers did end up winning a second straight national championship because the talent's there it's just I don't know it's hard to put your finger on it because it's such a surprise like you said that's the offense that's struggling with all the talent they brought back on that side of the ball it's all we heard all offseason was how talented they were on that side of the ball and they certainly are Uh, But there's obviously some stuff that's got to be fixed and got to be fixed pretty quickly. Luckily for them, they don't face any real uh, juggernauts the rest of the season. Indeed. Well, for my surprise, it actually didn't happen on the field. This is something that happened on Monday when Gavin Newsom, the California governor, signed SB 206 into law. Uh, This was the bill that was up in the California Senate that basically made it possible for college athletes to make some money off their image and likeness. Um, We've, you know, the NCAA was making a really hard push for Newsom to veto this bill. The Pac-12 came out with a very condescending statement once once it was found out that Newsom was going to be signing this bill. But, you know, it's not going into effect until 2023, first of all. So we have to temper our expectations a bit. There's still a long road for this. There's going to be a lot of contentions going on. And we still don't know whether or not it's actually going to go into effect when that time actually comes. So I'm kind of tempering my excitement here. But as we've talked about previously on the podcast, Players need to be able to get something out of the vast amount of value they bring to the sport, to their universities, to the entire nationwide system that is college football. And, you know, if it's not going to be the schools paying them directly, which as everybody out there who's who's listened before knows, I'm absolutely 100% for At the very least, they need to be able to start signing agents and capitalizing on their image and their name. Um, And, you know, what this is doing is it's emboldening more states. We already saw New Jersey have something in the books that looks like it's coming out in their next uh, legislative session. New York is looking at an even stronger bill that might go into place. And, you know, if this indeed does go into effect, you're just going to see a snowball of more states wanting to put this on their books. You know, Texas schools aren't going to want to get left behind. 
Alabama isn't going to want to leave its two major programs behind. You're going to see it spread all through the South. You're going to see those, you know, heartlands of Big Ten football start to look at this as well. And once that ball gets rolling, once Pandora's box is open, you're not cramming everything back in there. And so, you know, as I as I saw that on Monday, I just I, I lit up. Whether or not this actually comes to pass, we're seeing movement there toward a more equitable system that's at least starting to recognize the real value that athletes bring to the sport. And on a more selfish note, if this brings back NCAA football, I'm going to be a very <laughs> excited individual. I will finally have a reason to go buy a video game system again, and my wife might be burying me in the basement <laughs> for a long, long time rather than having to deal with me playing for hours on end. <laughs> Man, absolutely. That's the first, uh, selfish again to say it, but that was the first thought I had too, was, oh my God, are we going to get NCAA football back soon? I'll take an all California version of NCAA football at this point. It's better than nothing. Um, one point you made that I wanted to jump on as well was talking about the state of Alabama. And you look at the, a state like Alabama or other states that don't really have major professional sports, you got to figure they're not going to want to get left behind because college sports in this state, I obviously am a resident of, of Alabama, college sports in this state is huge business. I mean, a big money maker for the entire state when you've got the University of Alabama and Auburn um, both. So you got to figure, it would not surprise me if, and I know this surprises everyone out there listening, that Alabama might be progressive in anything whatsoever. But it wouldn't surprise me because of the dollars at stake here if Alabama passes a similar law and is one of the first states that jumps on board just because of how much money um, college sports brings uh, to the state. Undoubtedly. And I'd love to see it happen. Just really kind of flip the script on that traditional narrative. Um, but yeah, in general, breaking the NCAA hegemony in any way, shape or form is always a good thing. Um, especially when it comes in terms of the power that they wield over athletes. And one last thing I thought about before we get to game balls, the beautiful thing about NCAA football in that instance is you wouldn't be playing with quarterback number 12. If they're selling their images and likeness, we actually get to see the players' real names in there without having to go in and update each player individually in the roster, which... I definitely spent way too much time doing in some of those old editions. And oh, yeah. how great would it be just to have those players be those players and get to be them right out of the gate? It'd be fantastic. I mean, every part of that updated playbooks, because I still play NCAA 13 to this day on an old Xbox 360. The only reason I kept it was because I still have a copy of NCAA 13 and I still play it now. Uh, but just like updating playbooks and having the college football playoff on there and all that would just be fantastic. I, I hope to one day get to do that again. Yeah, I lost my old PlayStation 2 that I had NCAA 2010 with. I uh, lost it somewhere in one of my moves, and it's still one of my saddest losses from my <laughs> nomadic lifestyle. Oh, undoubtedly. I, I feel you. <laughs> Let's shift to those players, though, since we've been talking about players a bit. Who'd you have as your offensive game ball this week, John? Well, the guy I have for my offensive game ball had it wrapped up at halftime of his game. It was Devontae Smith, Alabama wide receiver, uh, who finished with 11 catches, 274 yards, and five touchdown receptions in Alabama's 59-31 to over Ole Miss. It still sounds 
just crazy to even say that out loud because that's speaking of video games, that's video game numbers. Um, that's honestly, I was thinking about it. It might be the most impressive performance by a wide receiver I've ever seen at the collegiate level. I mean, he had four touchdowns in the first half. He had broken the Alabama single game touchdown record and he did it in the first 30 minutes of action. He broke Amari Cooper's record for most receiving yards in the game. And, you know, he's always been the forgotten about receiver in Alabama's quartet of big play receivers. You've got, if anyone saw that stat line, you had to guess the receiver. Jerry Judy would be the first guy people would say. He's the consensus top wide receiver in the country, a guy who draft experts think could compete for the number one overall pick in the 2020 draft. If not him, you'd maybe say Henry Ruggs, who might be the fastest player in college football. And then maybe some people would even say Jalen Waddell because of his game-breaking ability. But Devontae Smith's always had a really good rapport with Tua Tungavailoa, uh, dating back to the national championship game in 2017 when they hooked up for the game-winning touchdown pass to beat Georgia. And, you know, Smith missed a couple games last season that kind of hampered his stats relative to his um, fellow receivers. So it's really nice to see him out there and doing what he does. He's a great route runner. He's got probably the best hands of the group of receivers, just doesn't drop balls. Um, and what a game he had. I know it was against Ole Miss, but you look at those kind of numbers and it's just it's really mind boggling to even think that someone could do that in a game. He called everything that was his way. He did it many different ways. He called some screen passes where he made a move and scored. He called a slant that he took to the house and he called several like bombs from Tonga Vailoa where he went up and high pointed the football and made ridiculous catches. So what a performance by him. Yeah, really versatile. You know, if you hadn't picked him, I probably would have. Um, but Honestly, the person I want to give my game ball to this week on offense is Utah quarterback Tyler Huntley. You know, there were questions coming into this game if he would even be able to play. He suffered a foot injury against USC in that loss and was limping around even throughout the week in practice. But he left nothing to question on the field once he actually got out there in pads and started playing. Um, you know, in terms of that game, if you had, you know, coming into it, we were looking at it and the quarterback we thought was going to light things up in Salt Lake City was Anthony Gordon, obviously. But Huntley did his best Gordon impression and then some. Threw for 334 yards and a pair of touchdowns, uh, completing 70% of his passes. He also ran for 31 yards and a, a pair of rushing scores. So, Obviously, that foot was not bothering him that badly, but obviously it was during the week for us to have even wondered if he would be playing on Saturday. So I, I was just all around really impressed with his performance, and that's exactly the type of performance that Utah needed to bounce back in that contest. Yeah, Tyler Huntley playing back that playing like that is is the reason a lot of people had Utah. Uh, as a potential Rose Bowl team and a potential even playoff team because he does have that potential and getting him back healthy is huge for the Utes this year. Um, flipping to the defensive side of the ball, Zach, who'd you, who'd you give your defensive game ball to? You know, as somebody who's only recently a West Coast transplant, I tend to watch a lot of Pac-12 football still, which kills my sleep cycle, but it, it's really fun for me. So there you go. Um, so on defense, I went with Washington defensive back Cameron Williams. He had two interceptions off Matt Fink in that win over USC. Um, you know, that first interception came right there in the first quarter. Uh, in the end, 
it didn't yield points since Washington fumbled on the next drive and allowed that to be returned for a score. But, you know, the second touchdown ended up killing USC. They were in the red zone. They were at the 10-yard line, I think, throwing that ball when he ended up snagging it right before the goal line and uh, just absolutely killed any chance that USC had to get back into that contest. Uh, Beyond that, he finished with five tackles. Four of them were solo. And for a true freshman to be playing like that just really gives a bright future for Chris Peterson's team. And it's really a testament to the how well the Huskies have recruited on that side of the ball because it seems like the past couple preseasons we've been looking at this team and talking about how much defensive talent has gone on to the pros and they still just continue to keep doing what they do. And a big part of that is guys like Williams. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great performance. I went... Um, the most impressive defensive performance of the of the week to me was Notre Dame's entire defense against Virginia. Uh, they had eight sacks, but the guy that really stood out was Julian Aquara, who had three of those sacks and forced a fumble that ended up being returned for a touchdown that really turned what well, was a really close game for a while. Virginia actually really came to play in South Bend, um, and Notre Dame's offense really struggled to find its footing. Um, Ian Book only had 165 yards on 25 pass attempts. Uh, it took them 37 attempts on the ground to get to 157 yards. So without their defense really standing tall and making plays, we could have easily seen the Cavaliers come in there and pull that upset. They were right there for most of the game. Uh, but Aquara, who's one of the best edge rushers in college football, uh, really came up big with the three sacks, forcing the fumble uh, that was returned for a touchdown when the game was 21-17 at that point in the third quarter when he got to the quarterback and forced that fumble that ended up being returned for a touchdown that really finally gave Notre Dame some separation. Um, and what was a really close game, you know, Virginia had the lead at the half and it took a big third quarter and a big defensive performance from the Irish them to escape uh, a really game Cavalier squad. Yeah, that's a great pick. It just an unbelievable performance. And without the defense, kind of like we've talked about in a couple of these other games, who knows what would have happened. Uh, because because Bryce Perkins and the Cavaliers did have it going in the first half. So, great picks. Um, we're going to take a quick break, though, everybody. When we come back, we'll be doing some more picking, this time against Week 6 games, looking at the spread. So, we'll catch you on the other side. Stay tuned. Welcome back from the break to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. This segment, we're going to be talking about week six games against the spread, and we have an awful lot of good ones to talk about this week. Starting with the Friday night showdown in American Athletic Conference play between number 18 UCF and the Cincinnati Bearcats there at Nippert Stadium. Uh, The Knights come in as a three-point favorite, and this is a game, most importantly, that we looked at in the preseason as basically a de facto AAC East championship game of sorts. And while Cincinnati has lost one game, you know, that game was against an Ohio State team that's pretty much trouncing everybody. And it happened at the Horseshoe. So it's really hard to knock Luke Fickle's team for that. Um, but I'm just wondering, do you think that, how do you think this game's going to go? You know, we talked about the Cincinnati defense being really good. We've seen shades of good defense from UCF as well, but 
these two teams, first and foremost, are known for their offenses. Um, so who do you think is going to win out on that battle of offense versus defense? This is a fascinating game. This is At this point in the season, Zach, you, you write about this a lot more than I do, but this is a, an elimination game, right? And the group of five race is what it feels like to me. Uh, the winner here really jumping to the forefront of the conversation, the loser probably being out of the race at this point. It's hard with as many quality group of five teams as we have this year. It's hard to see a two-loss team breaking through and getting in. Uh, I, you know, I would have probably leaned Central Florida if I hadn't just watched Cincinnati just demolish Marshall on the road. It reinvigorated my confidence in the Bearcats that I had a lot in the preseason that Ohio State and Justin Fields stomped out of me <laughs> a couple weeks back. So, I'm I'm feeling good about Cincinnati. I, I like that they're at home. Um, I think it'll be interesting. The last time UCF played on the road, we saw them lose at Pitt. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see if Dylan Gabriel, who had been really efficient until that two-interception game against the Panthers, if he can do the same, if he can take care of the football um, at Nippert Stadium on Friday night because the Bearcats really have an opportunistic defense that I think is going to be raring to play. They understand how important this game is. I think Cincinnati's probably had this game circled on the calendar since uh, the beginning of the offseason. Uh, I, I think Desmond Ritter has a big game. I think Michael Warren gets going on the ground, and I think Cincinnati uh, pulls the upset of Central Florida this week. Um, I think it's probably a lower-scoring game than some might think, not like low-scoring, but I don't think it's going to be a 52-49 to 49 shootout or anything. I like the Bearcats to pull it out 27-24. Wow. I was just going to say, were you looking at my notes there? That's just about what my uh, my pick had there. So, um, honestly, I, I think offense wins this battle. I, I really do. As good as both those defenses are, neither one of them has been tested by an offense this good as the, you know, like Cincinnati hasn't been tested as by a, an offense as good as UCF brings to the table. And I'd say that even for Ohio State. I think, I mean, Ohio State's offense is just as good as UCF, I would say, but I wouldn't say they're better than the Knights. Uh, conversely, UCF hasn't seen anybody nearly as good as Ritter and Warren and that Cincinnati crew. Um, so I think this has the makings of a Friday night instant classic. I think there's going to be touchdowns galore there. And I think UCF does pull it out. Um, I think they do beat the spread. I see it like 51-45. I see this just being well worth your time to stay up. And honestly, whether it goes that 27-24 or it goes 51-45, this is definitely a game worth staying up for on Friday night. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the one of the best games of the weekend I think we'll have. And it'll be an immediately um, an immediate thing for the weekend you know getting it off to a really hot start with those two programs and a huge game for both teams certainly well on saturday we have a couple of ranked matchups to look at which is really quite exciting you know last week we had a lot of buys for some teams at or near the top of the poll and so it's really nice to see everybody getting back to action again First game I see on the Saturday slate is a if right from the heart of Big Ten country, Iowa heads to Michigan. The 14th ranked Hawkeyes are a four and a half point underdog in this game against number 19 Michigan. Um, and you know the Wolverines got everybody excited again. 
um, after rebounding from that kind of ghastly performance at Camp Randall. But then again, they blew out Rutgers 52-0. And as we said in the previous statement when we were talking about Penn State's last shutout, it really doesn't say much about how much Michigan is actually back because Iowa is a hell of a lot better than the Scarlet Knights. Um, you know, I think the big thing for me is Kirk Ferentz's team is third nationally in scoring defense. And we saw what happens uh, when Michigan goes up against a good defense. I mean, that's exactly what we saw two weeks ago in Madison. So do you think Michigan has any chance of beating that four-and-a-half-point spread, John? I don't. I think that four-and-a-half-point spread should be the other direction, honestly. I, I, I'm I, surprised. I know Michigan's at home, and I think, I think that's Vegas playing up to the fact that it's Michigan and they've got the name-brand recognition and they're playing at home and a lot of – you know, your average Joe betters are going to bet the Wolverines at home here, but I think it's a mistake. Um, that that win over Rutgers is just typical Jim Harbaugh, right? It's blowing out the teams they should blow out, beating the teams they should beat, and then never winning the games that they shouldn't win or they should win, depending on your perspective. The big games like this one, like the Wisconsin game a couple weeks ago, and then obviously the game against Ohio State every year has always been, uh, since Harbaugh's been there, going the Buckeyes' favor. So, I, I don't buy that Michigan figured something out last week against Rutgers. Everyone figures things out against Rutgers. Um, obviously, Rutgers' administration was embarrassed enough by losing that bad to Michigan that they fired their coach this week. So um, I don't know what that says about the Wolverines. But to me, I, I think it should go the other way. Uh, I like Iowa to win this game outright. I think it'll be a defensive struggle for most of the way, but I think the Hawkeyes pull it out 23-20 uh, with a late field goal to win the game and really put the pressure on Harbaugh at that point because the Wolverines lose this week. They fall to 3-2 uh, and really 0-2 or 1-2 in the Big Ten at this point, really ending their chances of competing for a Big Ten title once again. Yeah, this was supposed to be their year with Urban Meyer finally retiring, and I just don't see it happening. Um, I think you're right about it being a defensive struggle, but I see Iowa doing, you know, something similar to what Wisconsin did. Probably not scoring quite as many points, but I think Nate Stanley's going to have a great day against that Wolverines defense. I think Torin Young can easily top 100 yards, and I have Iowa 28, Michigan 17. So I, you know, I think even if you did flip around that, that point spread and you had Iowa favored by four and a half, they'd still beat this spread. So, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Wouldn't surprise me at all. I think we, I think the Hawkeyes are definitely the better team here. And I think they'll show that even on the road. Undoubtedly. Well, let's head a little bit further south for the third game we look at in this segment. Uh, top 10 matchup at the Swamp between num number 7 Auburn and the number 10 Gators. Uh, Auburn comes into this game as a three-point favorite. Uh, so, you know, taking advantage, you know, they're basically, if you were on neutral turf, they'd be favored by just under a touchdown. Uh, do you think that's a fair look, John? Do you think they should be favored on the road? I think they should probably be favored by a little bit more than that, to be honest. I think that spread's pretty low. Uh, based on what I've seen out of both of these teams. Obviously, both teams enter 5-0, and but 5-0 and is not the same uh, for everyone, right? Florida's a 5-0, and but they're a shaky 5-0 and to me. Um, no real impressive wins on Florida's resume yet. Close wins over both Miami 
and Kentucky, and then they blew out teams like UT Martin, Towson, and Tennessee, teams they should blow out without having much. This is their first real test of the season against a quality opponent. Auburn's 5-0 and came by the way of beating Oregon, beating Texas A&M on the road, and then demolishing Mississippi State last week. I'm really impressed, as much as I hate to say it, with Auburn so far this year. Their defense is as good as any in college football. That front seven in particular is probably the best front seven in the country, led by Derek Brown in the middle, who's just a monster uh, and taking up space and uh, getting after, getting in the backfield to, to make plays. So I, I worry that Kyle Trask uh, is going to really struggle in this game against his first legit defense. It wouldn't surprise me to see Dan Mullen pull out Omri Jones more at quarterback this week to try to take advantage of his ability to run the football uh, around the perimeter and make plays that way. But I, I just think Auburn is too talented. They're the better team to me. Bo Nix is getting better every single week, and obviously it's different playing at home and then having to go to Gainesville and play in the swamp like he's going to have to this Saturday. But I, I, feel, I feel pretty confident that Auburn covers that spread. I like them 27-20. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I, I think it's going to be a little bit more of a, you know, classic SEC defensive battle. You have two really young quarterbacks going up against great defenses. You're going to see some mistakes. But, you know, Florida's excited that they get back cornerback C.J. Henderson. And I think it's like five other players who are all returning from injury for this game. But even with the reinforcements on the roster, Auburn is just too much to handle. They're a much better team than the one that squeaked by the Ducks in the opening weekend. Bo Nix, like you said, he's looking a lot better after each successive week. Uh, Jatarvius Whitlow and the rest of that running game are just continuing to crush it on the ground. And I think Auburn beats the spread, but I think it's close. I think it's like 21-17. Yeah, that's that's about right. Uh, I think I, it should be a pretty a pretty good game. I think it just you know the Tigers are more battle tested, and I think we could both agree with that. And this really sets up Auburn to make a push. Uh, they've kind of been the odd team left out when you're talking about the SEC trio of Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. But I think Auburn's just as good as those teams as they've shown so far this year. They've probably got the more impressive resume than any of those teams. Maybe not counting LSU, depending on how much you weigh in that road went over Texas. But as impressive as a resume as any team in the country. Yeah, certainly. And, you know, the computers love them right now. If we were in the BCS era, they would be up a spot or two from their number seven ranking, as I detailed a little bit earlier this week at Saturday Blitz. But, yeah, I, I think we're in agreement that Auburn is definitely the deeper team of the two, the more talented, the more battle-tested, and just looking more confident at the moment. Shifting to our fourth game of this week, let's head back to Pac-10 country uh, for the third big top 25 matchup of the week. You have Michigan State, which is barely clinging on at number 25 in a tie at number 25. So as far as close to the bottom of, of the rankings as you can possibly get. And they're heading to the horseshoe to play number four, Ohio State. Uh, you know, Ohio State is a 20-point favorite in this game. Just, you know, they're expected to absolutely dominate the Spartans. But given that defense that, that Mark D'Antonio brings to, to Columbus, do you think that spread might be too high this week? I don't. I don't think it's too high. I think Ohio State's demonstrably the better team. I think you're going to see 
uh, a lot of what we've seen so far this season from Ohio State against whoever they played, and that's another dominant victory. I mean, the Buckeyes have blown out everybody. Uh, my lock of the week last week was Ohio State minus 17.5 against Nebraska, um, and we saw how that worked out uh, pretty definitively. So the Buckeyes, to me, are the best team in the Big Ten. I think them and Wisconsin are head and shoulders better than probably everybody else this season. Uh, and I just don't trust Michigan State's offense. We talk a lot about Ohio State's offense with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins and those guys. But the Buckeyes defense has been maybe the most improved unit in college football this season. Uh, they're really getting after it. Chase Young has made a huge difference with his pass rushing ability. Jeffrey Okuda at cornerbacks, probably the best cornerback in the country so far this season. So I think the Buckeyes defense dominates. It wouldn't surprise me if they even get a defensive touchdown uh, that really aids in pushing this. And I like Ohio State to win 34 to seven and really roll over the Spartans uh, on Saturday in Columbus. I could certainly see that happening. Um, but like I said, the Spartans also bring a really good defense to the table. And I think it's it's going to be the first time we see Justin Fields and crew actually tested by somebody because Nebraska sure ain't there yet. But Michigan State has the players on that side of the ball to disrupt some things in that Buckeyes offense. I think, you know, they're not going to have any trouble winning that game. Ohio State is definitely going to be staying undefeated after this week, specifically because Michigan State can't get out of their own way when they're trying to to actually move the football. Um, but I think beating the spread is going to come down to whether Matt Coughlin can actually kick a field goal. Um, because I see this one at 21-3, but if he misses that, Ohio State covers. So... I have Michigan State just barely beating the spread this week, but it, it's going to be a, a moral victory more than an actual one. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, the Spartans' defense could really make this game interesting if they can dominate the way they're capable of. I just, I feel, I feel like Michi- or Ohio State's offense is a different animal than the Spartans have faced so far this year. That's also true for sure. Well, shifting to our last game, we're going to head out west to a very familiar place for me, uh, Autzen Stadium, where Cal comes in to face the number 13 Ducks this week. Oregon is a 17.5-point favorite at this moment, and, uh, you know, they're really playing to get back into the race and uh, really assert their presence as the leader in the clubhouse of the Pac-12 North battle Cal obviously after losing that home game last week to Arizona State a lot of the luster flew out of this matchup they went from number 15 to not even ranked for this this game uh so this isn't our fourth matchup of top 25 teams this week but it could be you know if things had turned differently last week in Berkeley so 17 and a half point spread Obviously, that Ducks offense is good. Do you think it's good enough to cover that, John? You know, I think it, you know, really comes down to what Cal's able to get offensively. I think Oregon's offense is good enough. I think Cal's defense is going to hold Oregon um, in check pretty well for most of the game. But eventually, I worry that Cal's um, offense, especially without Chase Garbers, who's out indefinitely with that shoulder injury from last week, the Golden Bears really struggled to move the ball when Devin Modster got in the game and 
uh, it really affected their ability. Their defense held as long as they could. So I think that um, Cal's defense will hold uh, for most of the game, I think. I think Oregon will struggle to move the ball for a while, and I think Cal's defense will keep them in the game. But eventually, I think the Ducks are going to break through. Cal's defense is going to get tired. There's only so often you can stay on the field. Uh, it's really going to take a big effort from the Cal offense to really have a shot in this game. Uh, so I think it's it's close for a while, maybe a pretty close game, one-score game at halftime, but Oregon asserts itself in the second half. Monster makes a couple more mistakes, as he's prone to do, um, and Oregon ends up rolling to a, a 31-10 to victory over the Golden Bears. 31-10 seems fair. Honestly, maybe it's the homer in me, and I'll completely own up to that, but I see this one being even uglier. This reminds me, I don't remember what what year it was at this point. It was like 09 or 2010, but USC came to Autzen Stadium on Halloween night and was supposed to be just uh, right there with the Ducks, and they left with their, you know, I guess Trojans don't have tails, but if they did, it would have been right there between their legs as they scuttled back to Los Angeles. It was like a 52-20 blowout against the Ducks. And uh, I don't know that it's going to be quite that high. I had I had this game at 45-20, to 20, though. I think you're going to see Justin Herbert pull away in the second half. I think you're right that Cal's defense is going to do well and keep them close in this first half. But I think Herbert just breaks out in that second half and has... One of those games that we've been really waiting for him to put up so far this season. You know, he's looked good, but he certainly hasn't looked like somebody competing for the top pick in the 2020 NFL draft yet. I think that changes this week. So, Oregon's going to cover. I have it at 45-20, um, but I could see it going even higher. Yeah, I think if Oregon scores 45, it will be higher. I don't trust Cal's offense to put up 20 points this week uh, without Garbers in the lineup. So uh, if Oregon's offense rolls like it's certainly capable of rolling, this one could get really, really ugly. Maybe that's just me tempering expectations after years of watching the Oregon defense. (laughs) But, um, you know, I, I, I think if they do all play up to their potential, there's no way that Oregon has any chance of not covering on that note we're going to take our last break quickly everybody when we return we'll be offering up some of our personal upset picks and our locks of the week along with uh some culinary delights to fuel you up for the weekend so stay tuned we'll see you right after the break welcome back for our last segment of the saturday blitz podcast this week everybody We just finished up talking about our five big games against the spread this week. Now we're going to follow up and offer you our upset picks and our locks of the week. So, John, looking at that big list of games laid out at Bavada right now, who do you see as the upset pick of the week on your end? You know, it's weird. This one, I I feel kind of cheap for even picking this one, to be honest, because it feels like the wrong team's favored. And maybe that means Vegas is getting one over on me. But Kansas State's a two-point home favorite over Baylor this week, uh, a week after the Bears, you know, stunned Iowa State at the buzzer with a game-winning field goal. And we saw Kansas State uh, lose for the first time this season at Oklahoma State. I think Baylor's legit. I think they're 
currently, to me, they're the third best team in the Big 12 behind Oklahoma and Texas. It wouldn't stun me if they jumped Texas with the way they've played so far this year. I like Baylor to go to the Little Apple and pull out the upset, I say in air quotes, over Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State's a two-point favorite this week. I think Baylor wins by a touchdown and moves to 5-0. and I think the Bears are really good. Yeah, I could totally see Baylor making their way into the top 25 when I give out my projections on Saturday, for sure. And, uh, you know, for all the awesome work that Chris Kleiman has done in his first year there in Manhattan, I still think the Wildcats are a couple of years away from really beginning to contend in the Big 12. Whereas, you know, after coming over uh, a couple of years ago, Matt Rule really has things starting to roll in Waco. And he's really developing a team in the image that he wants. This is not your daddy's Baylor team. This is not Art Bryles coaching this team by any means. It's not a team that's going to win with a ton of offense and lighting up the air all night long. This is a team that takes the air out of the football when you have the football and just they're playing more legit defense than most big 12 outfits can even offer. So I think that's a really fair pick personally for me. I had another game that to me looked like the opposite team was favor was, uh, or the wrong team was favored. I see Northwestern at plus seven going to Nebraska and you know, the way those two teams played last week, I can't believe that Vegas is favoring Nebraska by a touchdown, even though they are at home in Lincoln. Uh, The Cornhuskers just looked hopeless against Ohio State in that 41-point loss, whereas Northwestern went to Madison, and they really did acquit themselves well against the top defense in the country. Um, Hunter Johnson had his moments against the Badgers, um, even though they lost 24-17. And I just see him having an absolute field day against Nebraska, even though they are on the road. So I see I see Northwestern winning this game outright, not even, you know, forget the spread. They're going to crush this game. I see him winning by double digits. Wow, that's, that's ballsy, I'd say, to be honest. I, I actually like Nebraska to win that game. Uh, I think seven points is probably a bit much. I don't know if I'd favor Nebraska over seven against really anybody this year so far. But that's interesting. Um, so moving on to the lock of the week, Zach, who's who can I go ahead and put some money on? You know, let's head to American Athletic Conference country, and I guess that's half the country when you think about it. But let's head to let's head to East Carolina, where Temple comes in as an eleven point favorite. I think that's way that that's a beautiful spread for you. I see Temple winning this game by at least two touchdowns. That defense is allowing only 17 points and 285 yards a game, while the offense is averaging about 30 points and they're they're putting up well more than 400 yards of offense on teams. Uh, the big thing here is that defense is going up against a Pirates crew that's 111th in the country in scoring. East Carolina just doesn't have the the team to really keep up with, with Temple this year. And after that 24-2 takedown of Georgia Tech, obviously a Georgia Tech team that's not very good this year as they start to shift coaches and systems and just about everything with the culture of the program. 
Um, it's inevitable that there were going to be some stumbling blocks there in Atlanta. And at the same time in Greenville, we've seen the same sorts of stumbling blocks. East Carolina just is not a good team this year. And I see this one getting away from them quickly, even though they are at home on one of the coolest fields in the country. It is a cool field. I, I like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think Temple's due for a big performance. Uh, I don't think they played that great against Georgia Tech, but I know they were happy to beat their former coach. Uh, and I'm actually a little higher on the Pirates this season of East Carolina than you seem to be. Uh, but yeah, I think that's probably fair. I went with a similar spread. Uh, Texas at West Virginia, favored by 11 and a half. Uh, I don't think the Mountaineers are a very good team this year, although I will give Neil Brown some credit, and they look to be improving every week after struggling against James Madison, getting blown out by Missouri, but then beating NC State, who, to be fair, the Wolfpack looked like they might not be very good this year, uh, and then beating Kansas on the road. But beating Kansas and playing Texas tight is a totally different ball game. I think the Longhorns... Um, remembering last season's close loss to West Virginia and all the horns down, uh, horns down that were thrown in that game, um, in Austin, I think that, uh, I think Texas is going to take that personally. And I think the Longhorns are going to come out and they're going to dominate, um, the Mountaineers in Morgantown and really relish being able to blow them out in front of their home crowd. So I think Texas wins by two or three touchdowns. So you're saying no couches are getting burned this weekend, basically. Not uh, not in celebration. Yeah, <laughs> a, a little funereal dirge couch burning ceremony, if anything. Um, I think that's really fair. Uh, you know, we said at the beginning of the season when we looked at that coaching change there, it, you know, there's a reason Dana Holgerson left Morgantown. And it wasn't because he was going to have a better chance at the playoff at Houston. Um, he left the cupboard absolutely bare there. Uh, it's a team that's not very deep. And when you're playing a team the caliber of Texas, yeah, I, I could totally see that one getting out of hand really quickly. And yes, as you said also, Tom Herman's team has that added motivation of the way last season went. So... I like that pick a lot. I, I might have to uh, to go to my friendly neighborhood bookmaker very soon about that. Um, but, you know, before we head out, let's think about our stomachs a bit as well. Um, you know, all, we like to offer our picks as a couple of guys who, who like to tailgate, like to think about food around football as well. Um, what are you going to be eating this weekend? I'm really excited about this weekend. Alabama's got a bye week, so I can really just relax, sit down starting at about 11 a.m. local time and watch football until it's time to go to bed without any stress of having to worry about watching my team play and potentially lose a football game. Uh, so really excited about it. I'm going to hit the store at some point this week, and I'm thinking about grilling up some chicken kebabs. Mm. So getting some chicken, um, marinating the chicken and and everything and like a Hawaiian sauce that I'm going to home make uh, with some uh, some pineapple, some green peppers, uh, red peppers, onions, stuff like that, and grilling that up with a nice uh, a Hawaiian sauce and glaze and stuff to go over it, uh, and then letting that kind of sit all day. Um, that's something you can really munch on throughout the day, and if you're going to watch a full day's worth of football, uh, that's kind of the way to go. And then to wash it down, I'd kept seeing these commercials uh, these Sam Adams commercials while I was watching, I've been watching uh, football and stuff on TV. 
Um, and they were they kept touting their Sam 76 refreshing lager. They kept with the tagline that, hey, I can actually taste my beer. For whatever reason, that advertising worked. I went and I ran and picked up a, a mixed pack of Sam Adams that had, the, you know, the Oktoberfest and Boston lager, the Sam 76, and something called Cosmic Sour, which I had never had before, but was kind of interesting. Uh, but I tried the Sam 76, and by damn, they were right. You can actually taste the beer. It is a really quality uh, beer. It kind of tastes like a, a Blue Moon mixed with an IPA. Uh, so it's got the kind of orangey kind of flavors, but also the the more hoppy IPA-like flavors. Really impressed with it. So I'm going to go pick up a, a full 12-pack of, of those bottles for this weekend. Nice. Yeah, that actually does sound really good. I, I'm a big fan of uh, citrusy, uh, hoppy beers. One of my favorites when I lived in Eugene was the Citrus Mistress that was put out by Hop Valley. So, uh, but... Obviously, that beer is a little bit harder to find here in Pennsylvania, so I'm going to be going and actually filling up some growlers this weekend. I haven't done that since I've since I've been here in town, and it seems like the right time to do it. There's a little brewery called Robin Hood Brewing Company out in Belfont, and uh, they have a Steinhoist October Ale and that I, I really want to try before Oktoberfest is over with it, you know... The last day of Oktoberfest, the official Oktoberfest ending on on Sunday. I figure I can get it in just under the wire. So I'm going to go pick up a growler of that. And, uh, you know, I think I might also get a second growler of their King Richard Red. I'm just feeling a red ale this weekend. I think, you know, it's a little bit heavier. It's nice for the fall. And speaking of fall, I really liked using my slow cooker last weekend, pulling out that crock pot and making chicken. So I think I'm making pot roast this weekend. Um, you know, there's just something about that really nice, warm, rich, getting getting a good shot of, you know, protein and veggies that just can't be beat this time of year um, now that we're uh, into October. So... And then to accompany it, last uh, a couple of days ago on Sunday, I decided to make biscuits and gravy at home for dinner. And uh, I'll be damned if I didn't make the best biscuits I ever have. Ended up uh, finding a little tip to freeze my butter and uh, then use a grater on it to get it nice and fine and mix it into the flour so that it's nice and incorporated but still cold. And those were the fluffiest biscuits that had the most rise I've ever had. So we're going to see if I can replicate that. Because even if I don't get them quite that good, a decent biscuit is better than no biscuit at all. So that's what I'm going with is, you know, nice comfort food as the weather chills off. And I got to admit, having food in the crock pot last week that I could just go back upstairs to and, and you know, get another couple of ladles full into my bowl and just continue to munch throughout the day was much better than I normally do with food because I'll sit there and cook something and not be done or not get to finally eat something until we're in the middle of primetime games. So I'm going to try, I'm, I'm going to try to continue the trend of actually eating throughout the day rather than just having an evening time snack. So, so that's what I'm going to be doing this week. That sounds fantastic. I'm jealous about the cool weather that you keep referencing because we got a heat wave down here on the Gulf Coast. It's been like 95 degrees all week here. So 
I am very much so looking forward to actually experiencing fall at some point. See, we're we're starting to deal with the rainy season here in State College. So um, I was able to get my lawn mowed on Sunday, and we'll find out when I actually get to do that again because it, it's getting soggy at this point. So on that note, everybody, thank you so much once again for tuning in. It's always been a pleasure being here with you all. Uh, always a pleasure getting to talk football with you, John. And... Uh, we look forward to getting to talk many more weeks with you moving forward. So be sure to stay tuned and uh, tune in every Wednesday morning for each of our editions of the Saturday Blitz podcast. And if you're so inclined, you can go into our backlog at Spreaker. You can shoot us up on Twitter. You can hit us up on tw Oh my goodness, that was... You can catch all of our backlog on Spreaker. You can hit us up on Twitter if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, or you just want to call us idiots. And uh, we look forward to having you tune in again next week. Enjoy the football this weekend, everybody. <laughs>